14,156 plays, apparently, according to SoundCloud. Fantastic. So, that's all right, who, isn't it? Who knew there were that many jazz nerds out there who would be digging this, though? It's kind of shocking. Yeah. This is episode 11, isn't it? No, it's episode 10. What? No, it's 11. Eh? Port in a Storm Part 2 is 11? Yeah. Yeah, because last week was uh, Yokosuka. Ah, oh, yeah, 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 you're right. Blimey, right. too much content, we can't even cope. Let's get started, here, here we go. Let's boogie. Okay, welcome everyone. Hello again from a sunny and windy and rainy Dublin. Very strange weather today. Um, this is episode 11 of Tokyo Jazz Joint's podcast. Um, James, I've had a nice morning. I was up 8 o'clock, went to the supermarket with the mask on, got the shopping. I've come back. I've put a rendang, beef rendang in the oven. Had a lie on the bed, listened to some uh, Black Jazz label stuff. Read Blue Nippon, that book by uh, E. Atkins Taylor. And now we're talking. So, I mean, it just doesn't really get any better, does it? Well, it's good to, you know, build up to a great peak, isn't it? You know, um, <laughs> having no idea what a rendang is and why you would put one in the oven. Shocking. Uh, your, your day does sound more interesting than mine. I was working as usual, but I have just opened a very weather appropriate bottle of Guinness Original Extra Stout, which should just about get me through the recording of this podcast. So, um, well, I was just well. about to ask you. I was just about to ask you what you're drinking, but uh, you've beaten me to it. I might join you next week. Actually, I've got to deliver some food to a friend this afternoon, so um, I'll probably stay off uh, for now. But I might join you next week. Um, so, listen, we finished last week in Yokohama, and um, we're going to pick up where we left off uh, and appropriately we're going to start with um, bar first now um, I did a bit of research on Yokohama since we last spoke so I'm about to blow your mind here and I know you're based in Yokohama and so will our listeners um, because I mean let's face it you never stop talking about it uh, so you know um, first place ever to brew beer in Japan Yokohama did you know that? I did not know that and first place to ever make ice cream what do you think of that? That I did know. Surprisingly, oh, okay. you would have you would have thought it'd be opposite, but uh, yep. no, ma makes perfect sense. Um, a lot of our listeners would know. You know, Yokohama was opened when Perry and the black ships came from the states, and uh, ever since that moment, it was a rather international place where everybody arrived to trade and to business. So, and even today, um, you know, it's still down by but by the water area. It still maintains a, a very different feel, you know, to Tokyo. It, it's a lot of the buildings are brick buildings that survived the war and sort of Western style. Um, and and the people here, I found, you know, living here over the last seven years, I found that the people in Yokohama they they take a lot of pride in the fact. That, that they were the first sort of international people of Japan. Um, you know, whether that's really true or not today is debatable, but, but it certainly does have that unique sort of individual character that a lot of Japanese cities don't have in the post-war period. Um, yeah, when I, that's, what, mm -hmm. yeah, when I when I first arrived in Japan, that's where I was. I think I mentioned that in a previous podcast. So I was there mm. for a year and a half, and then I, I continued working in Yokohama. I moved up to... Tokyo after a year and a half and uh, after reading Norwegian Wood um, by Murakami, of course, who just incidentally is DJing, as we know today, uh, for two hours. He's he's delving into his huge jazz record collection. He's playing a, a stay home special on, uh, I think, Tokyo FM. So um, we're going to wrap up our recording before that so I can go listen and possibly troll him because, you know, we're, we're, we're going to try... 
uh, to move uh, any mountain to see if we can get him on the podcast. I mean, the chances I'd say are slim, but if there's anyone out there who's listening has any ins or any connections that might allow us to make that happen and put put to bed the uh, old blind cat controversy, whether he worked there or not, uh, please do get in touch with us. But yeah, I mean, Yokohama is a very, like, it feels totally different. I mean, I, you know, there's, a, there's an area around Yamate, uh, they call it the bluff as well, up on the hill. Again, loads of old wooden houses. It has a very, um, you know, sort of early 20th century feel to it. You know, you might recognize the, the type of houses in places like even like San Francisco. Uh, it, it, some of the houses are very similar feel to some of the houses there. And certainly you can see the same kind of housing in Hakodate uh, and Kobe as well. And uh, it, it is different to Tokyo. It is also, I, I did double check my facts and it's definitely the the second biggest city in terms of population in Japan. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I enjoyed living there. I mean, I was kind of processing everything else when I went. So I maybe didn't make the best of Yokohama and, and everything it has to offer. And I was much keener to get up to Shibuya and, and Tokyo and troll the record shops and things like that. But yeah, it, it's a nice place to live. Well, and it, it makes perfect sense because, you know, I did the opposite. I was based in Tokyo for, for basically the first 13 or 14 years and then moved down here. And for our listeners who've never been to Japan, I mean, it is a, a completely separate city. And as Philip is saying, with a very different character and history. Um, but, you know, the whole Tokyo urban area does sort of just meld into one another. I mean, you've got Tokyo, Kawasaki and Yokohama all administratively different. Um, but when you're riding the train, it's just one big, long concrete sprawl. So it's not as if it's, you know, a very long way. I mean, I, I can get into the center of Tokyo. It's 30 kilometers. It's about, you know, 30 five minutes on the train. Um, but when I came down here, I, I think, you know, I'd visited Chinatown, I'd visited the port area, the historical sites, but I didn't really get around very much just on those little trips. And after living here, I've been able to explore a lot. And certainly, um, I would say it was about a month or two in after I moved that that I found uh, Bar First, which is our first destination here tonight, yeah. um, through a friend. A friend had told me, um, go down there. And it's interesting because it's not the most famous place so it's it's it was uh it was a strange recommendation we're going to get to some of the more famous yokohama jazz joints a little later um so you know i got the train it was just a couple a couple of stops from where i live and went in and um i think you remember this philip from when we visited you know bar first is a, is unusual it's a lot bigger than most of the jazz bars um that we've been to quite spacious um, big enough that they actually have a front window where where they do have live music on the weekends. Um, no, I think oh, actually though, didn't we? Uh, did we either went once and, and didn't get in because you know there was a gig on and and again you know for anyone who's been to Japan or, or lived there you know gigs even small gigs sometimes can comparatively tend to be quite expensive and I think you know we're looking at sort of you know maybe thirty five forty dollars or euros to get in and i think we either hung around i feel like that was at night though and so did we go back another day or did we wait till the gig was over you know i've got a vague memory of um we went to to eat jerk chicken at this little jamaican place like around the corner was that why we were waiting to go to bar first i think that's what we did um because yeah exactly we didn't want to go um you know also, a bit rude to just go in the middle of the live show, take some pictures, and listen to one song, and then you know run out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they do they do those gigs there, and they also they're a regular spot. Uh, the Yokohama Jazz Promenade weekend, which is every October, uh, you know, indoor and outdoor gigs. There's always gigs in Bar First. I saw an amazing vibraphone quartet play there. Uh, completely new musicians 
to me and they just, you know, they killed it. Um, so I'd always had a really good memory of that place being the first bar that I went to when I moved to Yokohama. And uh, Yamazaki-san, Mr. and Mrs. Yamazaki, who run it, I mean, they, so it's opened in 1968. Uh, mm. You know, they've, they've been there uh, since the beginning. Um, getting a bit older, Mr. Yamazaki is very, very hard of hearing now so um, you have to write down your menu order when he's there alone or if you want to request a record uh, because he's he's lost almost all his hearing and and it's it's kind of it's kind of sad but it's also really lovely to watch how he and his wife interact running the place together where she'll sort of gently uh, communicate to him in a way that he understands what the customers are saying. Um, but it's certainly, you know, it's, it's quite poignant thinking about, we've talked about this so many times in, in the first 10 episodes, right, Philip? I mean, that you know, these, these worlds are, are so wonderful for us, but a lot of them are dying. And um, it's just yeah. so great that we get to spend time there before they do close, you know? Yeah, I mean, you can see from the photos, if you're looking online under bar first, um, you can find that in the regions tab from A to H. Because um, any, anywhere outside Tokyo is is in the region section, but I mean it's it's got a sort of a it, it's got that kind of to me I mean it, a Yokohama feel about it. It, it feels a bit different in, in the inside. It, it doesn't quite feel like Japan in some ways. And and again, you can see that kind of nautical memorabilia that we mentioned about uh, last in last week's episode when we we're talking about Yokosuka with the with the life uh, right, life right, life, exactly, life ring. Yeah. What's it called? Um, life, <laughs> life ring preserver. We need to stay off this, uh, <laughs> any sort of nautical terminology, I think. Um, but yeah, I mean, when we went there, there was no one there. Um, I remember that. You know, you can see that from the pictures. Uh, we, we timed it well. Um, but yeah, beautiful place inside. You know, a lot of memorabilia, nice selection of drinks. And you can see from the photographs as well, there's obviously uh, like the designated live space where the drum kit stays, uh, stays up permanently. Um, you know, piano as well, of course. So, yeah, it is a bit more spacious. And I suppose you tend to find that as you get outside Tokyo, you know, s space is somewhat less of a premium, I guess. So mm -hmm. you, you can be a little bit more um, flexible in terms of what you have in there and so on. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's a nice place. I mean, it's not somewhere that sticks particularly in my memory. Um, I think we spent, you know, maybe an hour, an hour and a half there. I had a drink. It was definitely in the afternoon, as, as you can see from the pictures. But, uh, yeah, nice place to start with. Sure, and a very very typical sort of neighborhood jazz bar. The people who are there are pretty much regulars for the most part. Um, yeah. One thing that sticks out in one of the pictures you took, the second to last picture, if you're looking at Tokyo Jazz Joints now on the bar first, is uh, he did put up one of those no cell phone stickers, which we've seen in a couple of places, but not too many. Um, but I, I always really liked that because I just thought, you know, I mean, look, I've spent a large, maybe way too many, uh, hours in jazz bars over the course of my life here in Japan. Um, and for the most part, people don't get on their phones. I mean, those, the kind of people who's going to be on their phone in a bar would not go to a jazz bar, I think, to sit down and listen to records anyway. I think you, you're yeah. already kind of clued into the manner. Um, but the fact that, uh, that Mr. and Mrs. Yamazaki felt that they had to put the sticker up there kind of intrigued me. And I was wondering, you know, was that a problem? Were people talking over the records? I mean, of all the places we've ever been, Philip, have we ever encountered anyone being obnoxious on their cell phone in a jazz bar? Like, I don't recall once. No, I mean, it's just not the kind of, I mean, and I think as well, if, if people were, you know, unknowingly, they'd just be asked to turn it off. I mean, they are about the music. I mean, okay, it's a neighborhood place. Yes, it's a bar, but, you know, ultimately, um, it's really about, um, 
going in there and having a drink and listening to the music, and that's kind of always the priority. So you're right there. It sounds like you've fallen over. What's I, going I, on? I, I dropped something. You have to. There's a lot of thumping so. about there. You yeah, see? No, I, I knocked it off my desk. Sorry. Yeah. We can tell who the ninja is and who the samurai is, but anyway. Don't worry, it wasn't the Guinness, so it's okay. Uh, oh, well, that's all right, yeah. Um, so um, let's move on from from first um, to Dolphy. And, I mean, I one of the photos that sticks in my head for some reason or other is is this one of Dolphy and the sign outside. I mean, it just says jazz and whiskey, um, Dolphy. And there's something about that street. I don't know why in my head, for some reason, I imagine this street scene to actually be somewhere other than Yokohama and I always have to kind of remind myself that actually Dolphy is in Yokohama to me it looks like I don't know it's it's maybe that pavement or something it's a bit more like Kyoto or something and obviously I think it says Yamagata doesn't it in the in the sort of background of the picture but Dolphy I have scant memories of Dolphy I'll be honest I mean I I remember the door obviously very distinctly the you know beautiful typography and the picture of the the sacks and obviously that the owner of that picture of him smiling is just one of those uh, pictures that you know if you were ever feeling down or or annoyed it's just the sort of picture that you need to look at would really pick you up I mean he was just the nicest gentleman which we've we've used on uh, on the uh, 75th I think uh, celebratory flyer was, uh, yeah. Mr., was Mr. Yeah. Komuro from Dolphin. Right, yeah, yeah, I mean, his his smile is absolutely gorgeous. Um, yeah, I think, I, I don't recall that you saying you had been there before we went. Um, no, I hadn't, definitely. Because I had been there, you know, at least seven or eight times for gigs, you know. And um, basically, I mean, Dolphy is a short walk from Bar First, but on your way into the Noge neighborhood, which we're going to be exploring in detail. And um, Dolphy is live music every night of the week. You can see from the great sign that you, you just talked about, the street scene sign, you know, open at the very precise 5.35 p.m. to 2 a.m. Possibly, possibly the most precise opening time of any of the places which, we've been. Which I, think, I would, right? anybody who is considering going there, um, that, that is absolute nonsense. So you will be waiting outside <laughs> a very long time if you show up at 5.35. Um, but, um, yeah, live music every night. And what's incredible is... Um, the sheer range of styles that he has there, including um, a lot of European free jazz musicians who we, I think we mentioned last time uh, when we went to Candy in Chiba, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. how Hayashi-san has a connection to a lot of free jazz players from Scandinavia. Well, um, they know Mr. Komuro as well. So Komuro-san gets these you know, hardcore Norwegian and Swedish and Finnish musicians um, who, when they come to Japan, inevitably will play a small gig at Candy like on a Sunday afternoon and then come down to Dolphy on a Monday night. I've seen that pattern five or six times uh, at gigs Amazing. that I've been to. Um, but then the next night, he might have a local Japanese female vocalist singing the usual standards, you know? So um, in a sense, he gets different customers coming in for different gigs which is which is a pretty good strategy because you know it's a small place it only seats about 40 people um you know tough to put on live music every night in a small place like that uh, yeah and that, but, that kind of eclecticism i suppose again is is you know we, we talked last week about uh, newer uh, a couple of weeks ago about newer sort of more forward-thinking places and although that's not necessarily one of those places you know like uh, that kind of eclectic and that lack of like purism I suppose is definitely um, gives these kind of places more of a fighting chance I mean obviously it's in the no gay area as well so 
if you've ever been to Yokohama, you'll know that that's a, you know, it's a kind of a nightlife area. There's a real buzz. There's like a network of streets with lots of tiny little bars and sim not, not dissimilar to somewhere like Golden Guy that we mentioned in, in the Shinjuku episodes. What, what always stands out to me in, in Dolphy is that sort of weird glass display case because it, it puts me in mind of the, the photograph in Java that we talked about with the Jazz Messengers album and the huge sound system. You know, it's it, it seems like a real hangover from a different era, but again, very precisely um, placed flyers and little statuettes and, and kind of things on display. So it was a really well tended place and, and like beautifully kept. Yeah, and it's it's definitely a regular spot for a lot of jazz musicians when they're playing gigs um, in Yokohama. Um, some of our collector listeners will know um, Itabashi Fumio, the great pianist. He's a regular there. Um, a good friend of the program, uh, Shinpei Ryuke, the young trumpeter, um, is also a regular there. So, you know, you're pretty much guaranteed to see some of the best Japanese jazz musicians at Dolphy. Um, for sure, at the top of the list of live spots in Yokohama. Uh, not a place to miss if you're visiting. Yeah, I mean, again, if you're a regular listener or you're familiar with the project, you know, so many of the places, I mean, are named for a particular musician, uh, Dolphy being one example of many. I mean, Miles probably, um, and then maybe Coltrane second would probably be the two most popular, but there's so many variations of, you know, Miles and Smiles and Milestones and all these kind of different places. And we've, we've obviously talked about Coltrane, Coltrane um, in, in previous episodes and things like that as well. So, yeah, I mean, they really kind of put their stake in the ground and, and uh, you know, show their allegiance. But um, it's definitely not just about uh, Dolphy. And uh, you can see even there from, you know, there, there's the Billy Holiday album up uh, in the frame as well. So, yeah, really nice spot in, uh, in a nice area in Yokohama. Oh, also for, for people who don't speak any Japanese, um, the manager who works there about three or four nights a week, she also performs uh, Sachiko-san. She speaks really good English, so you will be very comfortable, uh, warmly welcomed, which is not always the, the case in a lot of smaller jazz clubs. Um, our mutual friends, uh, Mike, who, who we'll be hearing from a lot more soon here on the podcast, Mike from the BBE label. Um, he, when he was visiting, uh, he and his travel partner got down there for a gig and he said that they were very warmly received, even though they didn't speak a single word of Japanese. All they had to do was start talking about some of the Japanese jazz albums that they collected and, and Komuro-san and the staff had big smiles on their faces. So, nice, nice. You know, if you're a jazz fan, you're always going to be warmly welcomed. Yeah, and if you are planning a trip to Japan, you know, once the, the kind of lockdown madness starts to ease and people are traveling again, and hopefully that'll come sooner rather than later. But um, yeah, if you do you head out to Japan, uh, do get in touch with us through uh, any of the social media channels or drop us an email from the website. Um, and, you know, we're happy to give you some recommendations of places to go. We've had that a lot in the past. You know, people are going and, um, you know, obviously budget and time and location is always limited, but we can certainly help you cut through some of the dross and, and get you to the places that, you know, you're really going to remember and, and want to experience if you have uh, limited time or budget. So do get in touch with us. And um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's always great to hear from the people that are listening to the podcast. So um, www.tokyojazzjoints.com is the website, as you probably know. And then you can find us on all the usual social media channels with at Tokyo Jazz Joints. So, James, we're going to hang around Noge area, um, probably a bit worse for the wear uh, at this point. And we're going to stumble or at least pretend to walk in a straight line round to Downbeat. 
Tell Down us about Downbeat. Wow. Okay. Mm. I know that at this point we're getting upwards of 15 to perhaps 20 of my top 10 joints in Japan. Uh, but Downbeat is definitely a top 10 jazz spot in Japan. No doubt about it. Um, first opened in 1956. Uh, currently on the third generation owner. Um, not in the family. It's a new owner. Uh, Yoshihisa-san, this young guy who used to be a customer there. Um, and uh, he was talking with the owner one day and uh, the second generation owner who who's getting ready to retire. And so they worked out a deal. And thankfully, uh, Yoshihisa-san, who I believe is 32 years old, was able to buy Downbeat exactly as is with all of the records and everything intact. And as you can see from the pictures, I mean, this is a classic spot. It's very, very dark. It's v how would you even describe the building? I mean, you got to go up these really steep stairs um, on a tiny street in Noge. And as soon as you go in, um, you're just assaulted by the sound. I mean, he has got the volume kicked up loud. I think when, Philip, when you and I uh, visited, we didn't even have a single conversation while we were sitting it was, in there. It was totally impossible. I mean, even before you go up, you're, you're kind of hit with that enormous red painted double bass outside. Um, like, it's huge, you know? Um, totally disproportionate in size to, to the place itself. And you go up though in that, that narrow staircase and yeah, and actually, you know, for the more eagle-eyed people, if you're looking at the photographs again on the website, you'll see actually the, the um, second generation owner, you can actually see him just peeking through the downbeat uh, logo on the door it's actually transparent and uh, i remember going outside to take that photograph and just managing to capture him um in the the sort of circle of the downbeat logo so i was pretty chuffed about that um but yeah it was so loud i just remember i think we sat kind of we sat around a corner facing um uh, the speaker system. So if, if I was to look over my shoulder, I would see the little hatch that you can see on the photographs where the, where the record is displayed and then the, the record library is behind. And I think we, we maybe tried to start having a conversation and then just sort of gave up because you just would literally be sort of shouting in each other's ears. Um, well, and it was, it was uh, again, it was towards the end of a long, uh, a long evening. And uh, he put on, and you captured the picture of Ole by Coltrane, which is just one of our mutual favorite records. Oh, yeah. And uh, we sat having our drink, just absolutely blissed out listening to Coltrane. And then as soon as it came off, I remember starting to say something to you, and then the drums just kicked in, immediately recognizable as uh, Sing 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 from Benny Goodman, mm, live at Carnegie right. Hall, which that's right. pretty much everybody would know this song. And again, at volume like 37, uh, around 10.30 at night, uh, it was just it was just such an assault on the senses. And, and it really kind of it made me laugh, too, because that's not a record you're generally going to hear at a lot of these Kisaten, which tend to tilt more towards 1950s and 60s jazz, you know? But him following up Coltrane with that record, just, I, I mean, I was just astonished. Yeah, I mean, it's what, Ole Coltrane's probably one of my top five uh, jazz albums of all time. I absolutely adore I remember the first time hearing it in university in Glasgow, just lying on the bed. It was like an autumn day, uh, sort of blustery, windy Glasgow day. And I just remember thinking, wow, like this album. So, when it was put on here, I was so excited and it was just like one of those, definitely one of those top memories from the project um, in, 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 in its whole, uh, you know, and we'll talk about, um, we'll talk about our sort of 
highlight moments and, and our favorite memories of the project maybe uh, in a later episode but definitely for me one of the standout memories was was sitting in there with that just ear-splitting volume and Olay playing on the on that sound system but I mean it's not just even the sound system it's not even that record collection I mean if you look at the the interior you know it's got those really sort of dated like red and black vinyl chairs and you can probably see from <laughs> yeah. you, you can just about see from the 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 fifth photograph in that series if you're looking at the website like the entire roof and all the walls in that area are covered with tiny um pictures of jazz musicians and flyers and posters and things like that and whether they were varnished at one point or whether they're just kind of congealed from years of cigarette smoke and and sort of dirt but it, it it's just the entire wall is is this kind of like uh collage of of jazz memorabilia and it, it's just fantastic place to sit in i mean it's i, I just... actually you know looking again at the pictures tonight I'm, I'm so i'm so happy because even though they're a little dark they're they're much better than i remember because it's really dark in there and uh, I didn't think you were going to be able to get any pictures. I thought we'd have to come back in the daytime and ask him to kick the lights on a little bit, you know. Um, but, yeah, it's super dark. You walk in there. They open at 4 p.m. And, you know, you just lose time completely, you know. You have yeah. no no conception of what time it is. Um, and I thought that the the volume thing, you know, that that was like a nighttime thing, that if you went in the afternoon, maybe it would be a little bit more mellow as people are having their coffee. No, from the minute he opens the doors, the volume is kicked up and he'll play, you know, he'll play some pretty heavy free jazz in there as well. So, I mean, it's seriously um, a place for hardcore listeners, without a doubt. And I'm really happy that you got the photo, the last one there that says John Coltrane, and in Japanese it says uh, Tokushu Maitsuki, which means like special edition every month on the 17th 6 to 9 p.m john coltrane listening party um that actually has not been going on for years probably more than 20 years <laughs> but yeah, they've, kept, yeah, yeah, yeah. they've kept the sign up there which i just love you know yeah there's lots of little nice touches actually looking through my phone as well just seeing what i had on there you know i have a photograph of like um a coaster you know they have those little beautifully embroidered coasters as well with the doubt the db logo on them as well so there's just all these gorgeous little touches you know um that you know, as you say have been there for you know decades um but they still maintain that kind of standard and it still has that sort of uh feel about it and it, did it's we ever just... figure out uh, did we ever figure out why nikita post that nikita posters there by the by the little record window that i'm very curious no, about that but with, it was something to do with films, wasn't there? Because there was well, other films. Yeah, there's there's actually, you can see there's other, uh, there's actually another. Uh, it's maybe Renoir, is it? There, there's another poster there for a couple of art exhibitions and things oh, like he, that. This as well, is so. downbeat's also where the, the the Steve McQueen poster is in the John, the one hanging up next to the urinal. Uh, so he's possibly, he's yeah. obviously got a bit of a film film collection thing going yeah. on. I mean, the previous owner, yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I mean, Downbeat. So again, you know, if, if you do make it to Japan, make sure Downbeat's on your list. And I, I would say if I could wave a magic wand right now and, and revisit, you know, five places, Downbeat would definitely be the short, on the short list for sure. It's Well, one just... more edition of Tokyo Jazz Joints breaking news um, for you. I was in touch with Yoshihisa-san just earlier today to ask him uh, about picking up a Downbeat t-shirt. And he informed me that they are now reopening 
And so, um, well, we won't go into the whole complexities of whether that's a good idea or not at the current moment to be sitting in a poorly ventilated jazz cafe. Uh, but in any case, um, he is reopening with limited hours and uh, he's still got a good stock of downbeat t-shirts. So next time we speak and get some social media up, you will be seeing me wearing my downbeat t-shirts. Uh, well, and don't forget, please support your local music businesses in this time of need. It's given us all something to look forward to, hasn't it? To, yeah. um, to, to, to see you in your t-shirt. I'm sure people have already seen you in your Eagle t-shirt that you posted yesterday. So it, it's good to have a series of those. Perhaps it could be a spin-off project. <laughs> that comes for our... Uh, our uh, special supporters, which is something we'll get to a little bit later. Yeah, as well. I'll not be I'll not be photographing that series. But listen, um, if you get some T-shirts, maybe what about we get a couple of extra, and then maybe we can put those out to the listeners and uh, have some kind of raffle or something like that. Yeah, uh, that would be that great. I was thinking as well that uh, you know people have been asking me some questions through various medium, whether texting or sending an email or whatever. Sometimes we see some things online as well. Um, but um, if you are listening and you've got a question, send us through. Uh, by email or social media and we may do a little bit of a segment on some upcoming shows with listener queries because I know there's a lot of curiosity about some of the places we've talked to that people may have visited or some of the broader questions um, there's definitely a lot of interest about um, things that we've talked about in terms of jazz in Japan historically and culturally so yeah, send us through a few questions and we'll put together a special episode like that and just to finish off with Downbeat, James, I'm, I'm pretty sure they're on Instagram as well. So again, if you're on social media, uh, have a look for Downbeat uh, and you can follow and see what they're up to. Um, a great website as well, actually. Re- one, of the, one of the better uh, jazz joint websites uh, So uh, with English uh, included. So definitely check that out. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So um, I think that was... Um, I think Bar First and Dolphy we visited on the same day. Downbeat was a separate, uh, separate evening. And then just to finish off today, the... Rather curiously named Marshmallow, um, which advertises itself as jazz and coffee. Now, if I'm not mistaken, we kind of stumbled on this by accident, didn't we? Or we discovered this rather than having uh, made a particular beeline for this place. Is that right? We did. That is 100% correct because Marshmallow is not located in the Noge, uh, Noge neighborhood of Yokohama, which is sort of the you know port side a lot of jazz joints and eateries and drinkeries. It's actually in Chinatown, uh, which is a little bit of a strange spot to have a jazz cafe. Uh, but when we went in, I remember we started talking to the very friendly owner, Joe Fusan. Um, I don't know if you remember this, Philip, but he pretty much talked the entire time we were there, a bit like the Billy's guy we mentioned in Chiba. Um, he was very, very um, effusive, explaining about why he opened the cafe. And we quickly discovered an unbelievable coincidence that Joe Fusan is not only my neighbor in my neighborhood of Yokohama, but he used to run a little men's clothing store on the Shotengai shopping street uh, in my in my neighborhood. And I remembered him because it was right next to 7-Eleven. It was a little men's clothing store, the kind that every old shopping street in Japan has, you know, post-war. And I remember Joe Fusan always being in there, sitting on a very high stool, chain smoking while reading a newspaper, surrounded by all of these old man sweaters and slacks, the kind that all old Japanese guys wear. And I remember just thinking, like, who on earth would buy any clothes from this guy? You know, I mean, he's been in this store for like 30 years, just sitting there day after day, chain smoking with the most hideous old man clothes. So I remembered him vividly, never knowing, and this was about two or three years that I used to see this guy. 
And then but finally he, we walk into Marshmallow and it's like, it's the same guy. But he also then, didn't he have like a record label? So he was, re, or is that, was that a new thing? He was, he was doing reissues of various things. Because I remember him talking about some particularly rare live album. Um, I think it was actually Eric Dolphy, but... Um, you're 100 percent correct. No, not only doing reissues, he even did recordings. So he That's ran right. yeah. he ran the label out of his house while operating the the little men's clothing shop, and um, he did recordings in Europe, in the states, and I think he he probably had issued over a hundred titles uh, over the last twenty years or so. So the label was fairly active. It wasn't one that I was familiar with. Um, and just the fact that, like, you know, he was doing this uh, while running a little shop and living just 45 seconds from my house uh, was so bizarre, uh, you know. And, and above that, do you remember who we met when we were taking pictures in Marshmallow? Oh, the owner of um, Octet? That's right. That's yeah, right. Okay. The incredible yeah. Octet in Yamagata Prefecture. He happened to come in, Aizawa-san. That's right. And they were chatting and chatting. And then Joe Fusan introduced us to him saying, oh, these two uh, foreign guys, you know, they go around taking pictures of jazz cafes. And so Aizawa-san gave us his card and said, please come to Yamagata. And I remember telling you, like, when the hell are we going to get to Yamagata, man? You know what I well, mean? Well, that was, that was early days, wasn't it? And it was hard to sort of imagine. I mean, it was very much Tokyo, Yokohama based in those days. So it's funny mm -hmm. to see how far it had come. And I did eventually get to Octet, as I know you have several times. And we'll talk about that, certainly. Uh, in later episodes when we um, talk about this, our sort of northern odyssey in mm -hmm. terms of touring the jazz joints. But Marshmallow, I mean, it, it was a very new, clean place. Um, you can see there there's some records and then a huge selection of CDs as well. It's funny you mentioned about him talking uh, your ear off because like that one photograph often gets commented on and um, I don't know how or why he had in a few maybe upset him or something but at some point he'd gone off into that corner or whether he was there when I came in I, I don't think it would have been likely that I would have been photographing that quickly but um, just I just got lucky you know again timing where he happened to be sitting there he was having a drink having a cigarette looking out at Chinatown which again if you've been to Yokohama you'll know is a very odd place I mean it, it is Chinatown by every stretch of the imagination. It's the biggest China, Chinatown in Japan, but uh, it has a very sort of Chinatown by Disney feel to it, doesn't it? It's very much like a tourist attraction. It's very clean and sort of quite sanitized and uh, a well, little bit can, expensive Well, you can get well. off a, a couple of alleyways where you get a little more uh, dirt and grit, but yeah, yeah, yeah you're, you're right. Actually, we should mention, though, that I just remembered there is a reason why he opened there, um, and I don't know if that was when we visited that he told the story, but he was actually born in Chinatown um, right after the war ended. Uh, 1946 and he grew That's up right. there and I remember him telling me um, you know when he was a kid that that was a very very rough part of town there was a mm. lot of street battles going on between Japanese Chinese and American gangsters and so there was a, a lot of stabbings a lot of shootings it, it certainly doesn't uh, anything you can imagine today when you when you visit because it does have that kind of uh, you know identical Disney feel that you mentioned but um, I remember him telling the story so he he's always kept a connection to his home neighborhood you know yeah, it was just a total, one of those really fortunate um, finds. And we spent a fair bit of time sitting there and, uh, and talking. And again, you know, it just kind of shows you the sheer variety and um, 
the number of these kind of places that exist and, and how, you know, as corny as it sounds, every single one you go into is completely unique. And if you do get chatting to the owners and you're lucky enough to have that time to do it, you know, you get these amazing stories and these, you know, incredible uh, tales that they can tell you that lie behind the places and also the lives that they've lived. You know, I mean, he's he's cleared his own quite a lot. And for someone who was chain smoking 20, 30 years ago, he seemed to be in fairly good health. Not that I'm advocating chain smoking, but, you know, he, <laughs> he, he was pretty genki. Um, you know, he, he just opened this new business essentially and uh yeah it seemed to be thriving i mean have you been back recently or the last time i back was about a year ago um and he was uh he was still doing um you know the kind of listening parties i think we've talked about this in a couple of previous episodes that some of the cafes will will have like a saturday or sunday afternoon or tuesday night and people will bring records by one artist and they will just, you know, sort of play their favorite tunes. Maybe someone will do a little talk if they've done some research. Um, this is pretty common in a lot of the Japanese jazz joints and, and he's still doing them. Yeah, I, I'm just looking through my phone actually because, I, again, I was just checking back through to see what was on there. Um, and I did photograph the menu, I think, of the listening parties. Um, and... I think I don't think it was exclusively his records, was it? Uh, the ones that he had released himself. I think it was kind of a just a, a range. Here it is. So he's got Eric Dolphy um, on the thirty first of uh, May, as it was, um, and then Zoot Sims the following two weeks later. Then Bud Powell and Bebop pianists two weeks after that, and then Hank Mobley uh, a couple of weeks after that, and very reasonable price so it's 500 plus a drink 500 yen which is about five dollars or five euros uh, and then you get a drink uh, included in that so again you know just keeping that that kind of tradition of these places being listening bars very much alive yeah and and uh, you, you're right I mean people bring records with them so it's a very communal type thing and you know we've mentioned it so many times why do people go to these places when you can just be in the comfort of your own home but it's so you can go and listen to music with like-minded people and you know it might be it might sound a little bit corny but it's it's so much cooler to go and, and put on you know a Hank Mobley record and then the guy sitting next to you pulls out a different one is like well, okay I love this track on this album and you just geek out about it you know that's, yeah. that's one of the funnest things you can do as a music fan you know yeah, sort of essentially social media, but in person, isn't it really? <laughs> well, that's the great thing is that people like, you know, uh, people have been telling me recently that not only are they happy about the podcast we've been doing um, and, and obviously, you know, the, the, the photo project, but the fact that we have been, you know, very active on social media to get new people to listen because a lot of times I think projects, I've seen this certainly in Japan with, with you know, older people who've done really interesting projects, but they haven't been able to spread it around very well. Sometimes you discover somebody's, you know, something online that they just, you know, a real simple website and you look at the project, it's like, oh, wow, they've done some great exploring around rural Kyushu or whatever it might be. But without that exposure, you know, people just don't get the awareness of it. So it's been uh, it's been a good job by you, I should say, since you are the social media tanto of this project. Well, if you could see me now, James, you'd see that I'm blushing. But, but it's nothing to do with your compliment. No, I mean, we're, we're over 14,000 listens on SoundCloud, which, you know, again, just completely exceeds any expectation we had. It'd be great. That's eight episodes. I mean, it'd be amazing if we could get up to 2,000 
listens per episode, it would be fantastic. But, you know, if you are listening and, and you do like what we're doing, please drop us a line, uh, send it on to someone else, uh, like it or, or post it on social media. Um, and thank you all uh, that are listening for your support. It, it's really fantastic. Thanks also to Brian of Grooves Ahead for doing the audio each week. He mixes the track together for us before we edit it. And obviously to Louis Lastic uh, for the theme music that he very kindly gave us gratis. Um, James, it's it's kind of testament to Yokohama, the richness of, of history and culture in Yokohama that we've had to split it into two episodes. So we're going to stick with Yokohama next week and look at a couple of really, uh, really deep places. Oh, for sure. And I, I look forward to talking about uh, another of my top 10 joints, um, as well as the epically, uh, historically interesting Chiyusa. Uh, and we've got a, another very interesting story, more on the adventure side rather than the bar itself when we go to Little John. So a lot more still to talk about. Intriguing stuff. Listen, um, how's the, uh, I'll probably let you get back to your Guinness. How's, how's it going down? Well, the glass is empty, so we're finishing at just the perfect time. Um, I've got to uh, make another visit to the fridge and then get on tonight's music selection, which is actually going to be by Muriel Grossman, who very kindly sent me a copy of her album Golden Rule. Uh, check it out online. Uh, Muriel, thank you very much. Uh, Muriel is from Austria. She's an absolutely wonderful saxophone player, um, very much in the John Coltrane style. A little bit of a um, little bit of Friday night listening for me there. In the meantime, have a good week, uh, stay safe, uh, and I'll talk to you next week where we'll wrap up things in Yokohama. You betcha. Keep swinging, buddy. Talk to you next week. Bye bye. Easy. Hi everyone, me again. In light of recent developments around the world, we wanted to show our ongoing support of anti-racist causes and protests for equality that we've seen in towns and cities all across the globe. There are two ways that you can help. The first is if you'd like to get yourself a downbeat t-shirt. So we have a black large size or Japanese large which is perhaps closer to a medium if you're living in a European country or in America. Um, what we're looking for for that is simply for you to donate $30 to a social justice cause of your choice uh, and screenshot the donation with your name on it and DM that to us. Uh, you can connect with us uh, either on tokyojazzjoints at gmail.com or just DM us. Uh, on one of the social media platforms if you send us that receipt for 30 dollars or 30 euros or 30 pounds depending on where you're listening we're happy to send that t-shirt to you in the post the other way that you can help is we're going to offer two prints from the project so they're going to be 8 by 10 size photographic prints they're going to be printed on archival quality paper and we're going to do that like a silent auction so it's going to be going for 24 hours you can see the two prints that are available on our social media channels uh, as soon as the podcast is released at 12 p.m on sunday gmt uh, and all you've got to do then is just email us or dm us with how much you're prepared to pay for that print we'll donate that money to a social justice cause of our choice um, it'll either be related to the current black lives matters protest or uh, an equivalent uh, movement in the countries that we're based. So it's a silent auction. There's two prints available from the project. So all you have to do is email us or DM us on social media with how much you're prepared to pay for the print. It's gonna be eight by 10 color print, printed archival quality paper um, and a fantastic thing to own. So just DM us within 24 hours of those images being released uh, and then we'll contact you directly to sort out um, payment and postage details. All the information I've just mentioned you can get uh, in written form on our social media channels 
at Tokyo Jazz Joints on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. And of course, you can visit the website as well, tokyojazzjoints.com. Thanks, everyone. See you next week. <laughs>